one of some folks maybe can't quite get off work that time so we'd like to all be together at that um, event uh, at the BJCC on this coming Friday evening then also remember daylight savings time <laughs> we are uh, springing forward uh, this Saturday night most people uh, if you like Pam and I we you know our phones our alarm and cell phones the alarm and it does it automatically but um, I still like to make mention of that praise God praise God all right let's um I want to kind of run through some things right quick that um, by way of review and I am a champion reviewer I, I make no apologies for reviewing things and saying things more than once but this particular section that we've been studying for the last few weeks there's some really really important things here as a matter of fact I listened to last Wednesday sermon twice already and may very well listen to it again there's subtle things but I think it's maybe some subtle things that we've overlooked or let slip or need to have uh, refreshed and renewed and uh, Dr. Bill Winston at their church they do a they call it a faith refresher and and I like that where he you know he says look you know we we need to just continually be refreshed in our our faith and our understanding and so there are a few things that I want to just reiterate tonight and maybe say them a little differently than we've said them before but I'm I'm just believing for wisdom tonight to be imparted to you and to me as as we uh, walk together in what the Holy Spirit's leading us, the Spirit of Truth's leading us into. We begin with James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, where he says, Faith by itself, um, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The Weymouth translation translates that as faith without corresponding action is dead. There's a lot of truth in these verses, but we keep referring back to them because there is a very important order that we need to understand. And that order is faith and then works as an expression of that faith. We see that in different places throughout the scripture, ones where he says, I have believed and therefore I have spoken. Faith confession, releasing your faith. Um, with the words that you speak is very important. Where it becomes a problem is when people have weak and wavering faith and they try to compensate for that weak and wavering faith by uh, you know, disciplines and principles and uh, by doing things, right? And, and you know, then we wonder why it's not working. It's because it has to begin with genuine faith and then an action then uh, a confession, then some corresponding effort on our part. We've said that love without any effort um, is no love. There has to be some type of action associated with our love to express that love. But love is more than something we do. Love is something that begins in the heart and is then expressed outwardly in faith is um, the same way. We talked last week about willpower and human effort and how those things come together 
in a Bible word known as zeal. And while zeal is important and has its place, zeal um, will never be a substitute for actually submitting ourselves to God. And I think whether realizing that we do it or not, it's a real problem in the body of Christ to where we try to compensate for our lack of submitting to God by, you know, expressions of, you know, extreme diligence and commitment and exuberance and passion. Let me just make a confession tonight, and so you'll understand where I'm coming from. And I realize that not everybody maybe is coming from this place, but I come from a long line of do-it-yourselfers. Anybody? You understand what I mean when I say that? I come from a long line of do-it-yourselfers. If there was something that needed to be done um, at our house, um, we were going to try to figure out some way. I'm talking about the way we were raised. We were going to figure out some way to do it ourselves. I mean, like, Dad built a three-car garage himself. I mean, he's out there, like, with this shovel, a, a flat blade shovel, and the foundation that he dug for that thing was a work of art. But he did it, you know, with a shovel chipped away. I don't know how long it took him to do it. So that, that's, if something is broken, you know, because I come from a long line of do-it-yourselfers, I'm, it's, listen, the Lord's having to help me with that because there, there are things that I just simply don't have time to do myself. I mean, I, the enemy, if, if I allowed him to, right, I'd just constantly be doing things myself instead of what I need to be focused on. And so, you know, thank God, you know, Pam and I are blessed enough where we can, you know, pay somebody to do some painting and, you know, these kinds of things. And even some of the last projects we had to have done on the rental buildings um you know marcos is a do-it-yourself right me and mark and jerry and others over the years we've we've done a lot of stuff uh projects and things rick hosmer others i don't start naming people i'll leave leave folks out but um well even like the the, the banners in here you, you know um do it yourself I mean, why, why would we pay people twenty thousand dollars i can do it myself you know and and that can be a good thing. I'm not knocking that. Um, but there are certain things when it comes to our walk with God that do-it-yourself won't get it. Do-it-yourself righteousness won't get it. Are you understand what I'm saying here? Do, something that, you know, you think you can pull this off yourself by your sheer determination, by your sheer willpower that... I don't care how long it takes, I don't care how hard, hard, how hard I have to work or how many things I have to confess and all this other stuff, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And there, there are things pertaining to what God has for you and me that you, you can't do it yourself. And, and we see, well, here's the verse, we've looked at it a few times already, Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, Paul says of the Jews that we're not accepting jesus he said i bear them witness that they have a zeal for god but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of god's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of god notice a long line of do-it-yourselfers they're they're trying to do it themselves as a matter of fact they're insisting on doing it themselves why, why would they insist on trying to do for themselves what Jesus has already done for them and is offering to them as a free gift. It's because they don't want to submit to God. 
they don't want to relinquish control. Doing it yourself appeals to your individualism, your autonomy. If I do it myself, I I can do it the way I want. To be honest with you, and maybe that's good for me or or whatever, but, you know, I, I, full disclosure, I'm a finished carpenter uh, or was or, you know, did finished carpentry work. I built cabinets, and I'm I'm pretty picky if we're just going to be honest about it, okay? Um, I don't know of anybody in this room that I'm, (laughs) you know, going to invite to come do some finished work for me, but if you're going to, if you, are y'all with me this evening? Maybe I'm spilling too many beans here, all right? But so why do we do things ourselves? We do things ourselves to save money, but not always. Sometimes you do things yourself because you want to control it and you want it to be how you want it to be. And, and if you delegate it or pay somebody else to do it or whatever, then you're, you're at their mercy. You have to submit to, to them and to their schedule and to this and to that. And so all of these things that we see manifested in home projects, right, is, is also a spiritual issue as well. There's a spiritual element to that as well. To, you know, to, to, because if, if we're gonna if we're gonna be righteous God's way, we're gonna have to submit to Him. If we're gonna be righteous God's way, we're gonna have to do it God's way instead of our own way, which means putting our trust in Him. And the dilemma of trust again comes back to this issue of control. Now let's camp here for just a minute. I know we've talked about this, but there's some things that I want to pull into this uh, that we haven't yet uh, spoken to. And when we see here in Romans 10 uh, and verse 3, this idea, this truth of submitting to the righteousness of God, what you have to remember, and, and unless you've lost sight of it or, or haven't considered these things uh, altogether, when, when he talks about submitting to the righteousness of God, that phrase, uh, submit to the righteousness of God, it both covers and communicates a lot of things that have already been covered at length in the first nine chapters of the book of Romans. So when he just, you know, we, we turn to this verse and we say, you know, they're out of their own zeal trying to make their, themselves righteous, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You know, if, you, if you're not familiar with what's already been covered, you, you may not fully understand um, all that's being communicated when he uses this expression. So just real quick, like, we see in the first nine chapters we have learned about righteousness by faith and what it means to be declared right with God in the eyes of God because of something that you've believed instead of something that you've done. We also know that submitting to the righteousness of God is, um, is that there's only one acceptable standard. That's already been, been spelled out for us in these earlier chapters. There is no multiple standards of righteousness that are acceptable to God. There's only one. It's the, it's the righteousness of Jesus. That's the only acceptable standard. It's the only one God will recognize and consider. And, and the only way to have it is to receive it by faith as a gift instead of you somehow doing something to earn it or deserve it. We also learn alongside that in those first nine chapters of the book of Romans is that our Uh, efforts to make ourselves right before God in the eyes of God apart from receiving his free gift is as filthy rags to God it's rubbish it's garbage it's not acceptable he's not interested in it and he does not uh, uh, honor it are you hearing me it it does not gain you any uh, favor or standing uh, with him whatsoever and then we also see in those first uh, nine chapters is that Our righteousness is based upon what Jesus has done for us 
and what He has made us. This is the righteousness that's, that's accepted. This is the, the righteous standard that, that is required. It's the one that's received by faith. And so when we come to chapter 10, and Paul talks about this issue where people insist on doing it themselves instead of submitting to God and receiving it by faith, this, this is what's already been uh, taught and what's already been revealed to us in those previous chapters. Now, this is not an isolated issue. Because we see the same issue, and we talked about this last week. I'm not going to go into all the details again. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, um, we see where the, um, uh, the Galatians were trying to experience the miraculous power of God at work among them based upon the grounds of their doing. That's what the Amplified Version says. He asked the question, he says, does the Holy Spirit work miracles among you by the hearing of faith or based upon the grounds of your own doing? And clearly he's saying that it's by faith. It's not determined by or based upon the grounds of our own doing. That doesn't mean our doing isn't important, but he's saying that our doing can never be a substitute for our believing. It can never compensate for our lack of faith. So this brings us back to the idea of the disciplines and the principles that appeal to our flesh that can quickly become zeal and pride and play into this DIY, do-it-yourself, make-it-happen attitude. Amen. Now, we also said last week that we need to be careful with statements pertaining to walking with God and receiving from Him that begin with, all you got to do is... Did that, did that, that was part of the reason why I listened to that sermon from last week twice this week. Um, I so want you to understand this and get this. And maybe you already got it and I'm the one that's still working, okay? So thank you for waiting on me to catch up with you if that's where we are in all this, okay? And I'm not saying that sarcastically. I mean that legitimately, okay? But I'm, I am, to be honest with you, um, I, have, I have looked a whole lot in my life in the scriptures for the all you got to do is. Because I'm so interested in helping people receive from God and enjoy the life that God had them, has for them to live, you know, and so it's like, okay, listen, th- 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 here's, here's all you got to do. And, and, and the Lord brought this word of, of I'm going to call it a word of correction. I receive it as correction that you have to be careful with statements that begin with all you got to do is because all you got to do is that appeals to our flesh now in in paul's letter to the corinthians um he he says that um the weapons of our warfare are not carnal and that though we're in the flesh we do not fight according to the flesh. Why do you think the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to say that to the Corinthians and to you and me? It's because we are all prone to this approach of getting it done by fleshly efforts, by you know, applying ourselves to the, to the principles, by working harder at the disciplines, and that somehow this is, is going to to, uh, you know, move God 
on our behalf. Now, we finished with something last week that was probably one of the strongest things that we've said about all this to date, but I, w- I want to make sure that, that you've got that, and so I'm going to go back to that again. And, and that's this concept of whether we mean to do it or not or whether we, we consciously think of it as, as being that or not. So much of what people call faith today is nothing more than human effort designed or intended to try to manipulate God into doing something for them. And, and, the, and the attitude goes something like this. It's, it's like, okay, God, I'll do this for you. Now, I need you to do this for me. It's, it's this whole give and take uh, approach that so many of us have to our earthly relationships you know, when we do something for somebody else, we, we, we'll sometimes even say it. And if we don't say it, we'll sometimes even think it. You know, you owe me one. And so much of, of, of what we do when it comes to faith principles and, the, and Christian disciplines are either consciously or subconsciously this whole effort of, I've done this for God, now, now God needs to do this for me. This is why Jesus wanted to make sure before he taught us how to pray that we didn't make the mistake of thinking that all you had to do was say enough words in the right order and voila, God would do whatever it is that that you're wanting him to do for you. That it just becomes a matter of enough words in the right order at the right time and, and certainly there is a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. Certainly... There, there, we should pray the word. We, sh- we, should, we should say what God said about our situations. And we've, we've taught on those things around here uh, for years. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that those things aren't important. But if we're trying to just not say the wrong things and say the right things long enough to get the answer, whether we realize that or not, if, if, you, if, if you approach... Of another person with the mindset of this is what I've got to do for them, this is what I've got to say to them, this is how I've got to treat them, and this is what I've got to, to, to be to them in order to get from them what I want from them and what I need from them. That's not true fellowship. That's not true relationship. That's manipulation. And somebody may say, well, Pastor Mark, there's a fine line there. You know, this whole, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Are you hearing me? None of us are really interested in having relationships with other people like that. And none of us, whether we really have ever thought about it or not, none of us really want that kind of relationship with God. But yet, that's, that's where relationships devolve to if, if we're not careful, if we don't elevate them. You still with me tonight? So if this whole, you know, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, what we're really saying is, if I can just figure out how to scratch your back the right way, then I'll get from you what I want and what I need. And so many times that's, that's whether we, listen to me, the Holy Spirit's trying to reveal some things to us here. He's trying to, he's trying to help us see some things. Let, 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 me, let me stop for just a minute and step away f- from that. And, and let, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you enjoy giving things to other people? Do you, do you, man, there's just something about it, right? And, and, you, and you even hear people talk about, you know, what they would do if they won the lottery. 
And most of what you hear people say, what they would do if they won the lottery, involves doing things for other people, giving things to other people. It's because we actually enjoy doing that. We enjoy giving gifts to other people. And especially if it's something, man, if I find out there's something that Pam wants, I cannot wait. I mean, I'm like excited about getting it for her, right? Because rarely, if ever, does she express a desire for something. You know, she's just low maintenance, easygoing. Amen. And so, you know, like even like something that she wants to eat. You know, it's, it's always, I don't know, whatever you want, I'm fine with it. You know, and, and, and she means that. She's being sincere. She's not one of those, like, you know, then you go wherever you want to go, and she's like, why would you pick this? No, it's like, she's fine with it. She really is. Okay. So we, I want you to think about that. We enjoy giving stuff to people. Have you ever had somebody that it was hard to give something to? You're trying to help them, and, and, and they're really hard to help. They're really hard to bless. They're really hard to give something to. I certainly have dealt with that in my life. Some people are just hard to help, no matter how much you want to help them. Well, listen, there's a reason why you like to give things to people. It's because you were born from above, and your Heavenly Father enjoys giving things to people. He enjoys giving good things to His children. And I'm not going to go through every verse tonight, but there are multiple verses in the scriptures that talk about him giving both what you need and what you desire, what things whoever you desire, whatever you ask in my name. Father enjoys giving things to you that you need, and he enjoys giving things to you that you want, and he enjoys giving things to you that you didn't even know that you wanted, but he knows you better than you know yourself, and so now he puts something in your life that you didn't even know you wanted, and there it is, and it's like, man, where's this been my whole life? He's just cool like that. So when we talk about God and his desire to give to us, he, he desires to give things to us. But he, he, and we've explained all this. I'm not going to go back through all the verses in, in Romans 4 and what have you. But in order for him to give to you now, faith receives what grace has already given. So faith becomes the means by which God is able to give to us. Do not let the man who doubts in his heart expect that he will receive or suppose that he will receive anything from God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to give it to that man. It means that for all kinds of reasons that we've explained in the, in the past, that in order for God to be able to give to you the things he desires to give to you, do for you the things he desires to do for you, bring into your life things that he desires to bring into your life, it's got to come through the channel of faith. This is why Satan hates faith. And this is why so many people, and, and it's, it's, it's almost become the one subject in the body of Christ that, that, that you can approach. I mean, it's easier to talk about homosexuality and fornication in the body of Christ today than it is to talk about people who are weak and wavering in their faith because we're supposed to uh, pretend that everybody is a faith ninja and everybody operates at, a, at the ultimate highest level of faith and that if we're not uh, operating and experiencing in our lives what God wants us to operate in and experience in, it's not because our faith is, is, an, is an issue. It's because God either can't do it or won't do it or what have you. And nothing can be further from the truth. So I'm, with the Lord's help, and this is, this is what I've been taking before. I, I, don't even, I don't even want to say that it started with me. It started with Him. He, he, when I say it, it wasn't like I had this great question. I, took it, I don't want to try to make it sound like that. I had this great question. I took it before the Lord. He started giving me these answers. No, he's like, hey, w w I'm, I'm trying to get some things to my people. W would you help teach them how to receive from me? That's where it all began. I'm like, yes, sir. I need to learn myself. 
let's go with it, you know. And that's, that's where we've been over, you know, the last several months even. And, and are going to be there, I don't know, for the foreseeable future on Wednesday nights together. And, and if, I, if, I, if I'm sounding like harsh or something, I don't mean to sound like I'm fussing tonight, but just, it's just I'm passionate about this. This is, this is so critically important. And, and there's, there's got to be somewhere that we're missing it. If Father enjoys giving things to us, if, if he has given these things to us, then what, where, where are we missing? What are we thinking that we're not thinking? What are we doing? All this other stuff, right? And it comes back to the doing, right? That's, where it, that's always been for me. What am I doing that I'm not doing? What I should be doing? That, and I'm not saying doing isn't important, but again, I've got this conversation going with, with uh, someone that watches online. And, and, and they're really learning and, and they're and grabbing hold of this. And, and so, but then the question came the other night. Okay, so then what do I need to do to have, see it comes back to what I got to do, what I got to do, what I got to do. Because we're so ready to roll off our sleeves, just like those folks that rode across the sea. We're so ready to row harder. We're so ready to dig in. Just tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. Rich young ruler had that attitude, didn't he? But see, Jesus... He was wanting Jesus to tell him what to do. Instead, Jesus addressed the need in his heart. The issue with him was he, all his trust was in his money. His identity was in his money. His authority, his power, everything about him, all that resided within his money. And Jesus knew that that was the one obstacle that was keeping him from receiving what God wanted him to do. And so he addressed that with him. Of course, he, no thank you. Right? He wasn't willing to do that at all. All right, now, praise the name of the living God. All right, let's do this. And, and these are some things that I had in my notes last week I didn't get to. We have said this already. We've said beware of misplaced faith. Misplaced in the sense of faith placed in or on something other than God himself. Now this is, this is the part, and, and this, is, this is going to take a while for us to develop, um, at, at least the teaching of it. And Jesus said, have faith in God. We closed last Wednesday with, with this statement. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. I'm, I'm concerned that the body of Christ today has become more focused on what they believe instead of in whom they believe. See, th this is what I mean by misplaced faith. And, and this is so subtle and it's so deceptive. But when we put all of our confidence in what we believe with very little confidence in whom we have believed. This is going to sound so simple, but so many times the answers are right there in front of us and, and, and we overlook them. Remember what Naaman's servant said to him, if he had asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. And so here, here we are again. Notice, he, he wanted, that's another classic example. He wanted to do something hard. He, he, wanted, he wanted to feel like he had some skin in the game and that he had done something hard and so he could ride back in victory with his leprosy cleansed and tell everybody what he did 
to be healed of his leprosy. It's not much of a story to say you went and dipped yourself in dirty water, dirty river, right? Wasn't much glory for him in that. Wasn't much to, watch this now, wasn't much to boast about for him in all of that. Let me read some of these to you. If your faith is based upon how hard you've worked or how good you have been or how diligently you adhered to a list of disciplines and principles, you may have been deceived into placing your faith in yourself instead of in God. Here's, here's the simple answer. Are you ready? Have faith in God. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said to the disciples in the greatest faith lesson ever taught, Mark chapter 11, when they were wowed and amazed by it, he told them, he said, have faith in God. Now, there are all kinds of principles. There are all kinds of, of faith truths in, in that passage that we can look at and learn from and get stirred up about and get excited about, right? And we tend to gravitate towards that because we're wanting to know what we can do what can, what can we do to curse the fig tree? What can we do to speak to the mountain? What can we do, right? And Jesus says, whoever has faith in his heart and does not doubt. But the clarifying statement that Jesus made is to have faith in God. Have faith in God. We like to say this. We like to say it this way now. We like to say, faith will move mountains. And it will. Faith in God will move mountains. You see the difference there? You see the difference? Now, th I'm, I'm doing this for my own benefit. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend that you do it for your benefit. That any time you speak of faith or you use the word faith, make it a phrase, not a word. Faith in God. Faith in God. You say a faith confession is a powerful thing. It is a faith in God confession. You see the difference there, right? Well, you know, we, we, we've got faith for healing. No, no, you've got faith in God for healing. So, see, you say, Pastor Mark, are you, are you serious right now? I am serious right now, okay? Because in all of our understanding of faith somehow we've lost sight of the most important thing that it's not faith in the principles it's faith in god you know, we, we've looked at this like well, we'll just just do what jesus did he spoke to the fig tree yeah because he had faith in god him speaking to the <laughs> hear me now him speaking to that fig tree was faith in God that when he spoke to the fig tree, it would wither up and die. Let me, let me, let me stay focused here. I'm going to say this again. This is important. If your faith is based upon how hard you've worked, how good you've been, or how diligently you adhered to a list of disciplines and principles, you may have been deceived into placing your faith in yourself instead of in God. We're talking about misplaced faith now. Faith in something or on something other than God himself. 
So here's one. We've covered this, but let me just state it this way. Faith in how much you have prayed or how long you have fasted is not the same as faith in God. Is prayer important? Absolutely. Is prayer and fasting important? Absolutely. Jesus, the master himself, the head of the church himself, he, he spoke of these things when he taught us about these things. He said, not if you pray, but when. Not if you fast, but when. These are, these are important Christian disciplines. But where the deception comes in is when our faith is based upon how much we've prayed and how long we fasted. That's not the same as faith in God. Faith in how careful you have been to say positive words and avoid negative ones is not the same as faith in God. And, and this, you know, what's often referred to as the faith camp or, or word of faith, and I, and I consider myself to be word of faith. Amen. I'm not a, embarrassed about that at all. We are Bible-based, we're Word-based, we are blood-bought, and we're a Spirit-filled church. And um, I thank God for Brother Hagan and, and, and so thankful for the things that I've learned and, and all of that, okay? And, and what those men have preached and others that learn from him continue to preach is a message that needs to be uh, understood, it needs to be put into practice in our lives, and I'm not speaking negatively about or against any of that. But, but where Satan has tried to get in, because he, listen, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The devil is terrified of you understanding faith and how faith will produce, see right there, what, did you see what I just did? The devil is terrified of how faith in God, see, see we, we talk about it like it's just faith, like it's something disconnected almost from God. It's not just faith, it's faith in God. Faith in how careful you have... The devil's terrified of it. And so he's got to try and somehow, you know, twist, pervert, misdirect, misplaced. And one of the... One that is so easy for him, it goes back to it, is because we have this tendency when something's not working out for us or happening fast enough to just bear down and work harder and be more disciplined and, and be more determined. So faith in how careful you've been to say positive words and avoid negative ones is not the same as faith in God. Should we avoid negative confessions? Absolutely. Should we say positive things? Absolutely. Should we confess the word of God? Absolutely. If you think I'm saying don't do that, you're not hearing what I'm saying. But how many people, how many people have been deceived into thinking that because they have, and, I, and I, I'm not trying to blast anybody, but you know, someone will receive a, a, a serious health diagnosis and they think that as long as they never say it, never say they have it and only say they're healed, I recommend that. I recommend that. I'm not... Well, you're lying if you say you don't. No, no, see, again, we're calling things that be not as though they were. All of these things are what? They're faith principles. What happens to folks is they, they're faith in God principles. <laughs> I put myself out there, didn't I, right? See, again, it's faith in God principles. It's not just a faith principle. It's a faith in God principle. This is how faith in God works. It's not just how faith works. It's how faith in Him works. So where, where we get deceived is into thinking that, okay, if, if I just 
work this faith in God principle, then everything's going to be fine. What we don't realize is that faith in how careful you've been to say positive words and avoid negative ones is not the same as faith in God. All right, how about this one? You're going to love me after I say it? Faith in 147 Facebook friends all hoping for a good report from the doctor is not the same as faith in God. Faith in, you know, 75 people that you work with wishing you well, having a good thought for you. It's not the same as faith in God. Faith in consistently practicing Christian disciplines is not the same as faith in God. Faith in consistently following biblical faith principles is not the same as faith in God. Growing in your understanding of biblical faith principles is not the same as growing in faith. This is why I think, I think a lot of people, because they know so much about it, that they think they, they have, have somehow mastered it. It's not the same. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to an extreme with this. And maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. I, I heard, as a matter of fact, someone that I listen to frequently, and I know, I know a lot of you think Keith Moore, and no, it's not Keith Moore, but I, I've said that I listen to him frequently, and so it wasn't Keith Moore, it wasn't Jesse Duplantis, but I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. It wasn't Rick Renner. I'm trying to, all these people that I listen to all the time, okay? But somebody, and I'll, I'll probably listen to three sermons from him tomorrow. It's not, I'm not, I'm not done with him because he said this, all right? I wouldn't want somebody to nitpick the letter of what I say any, any more than, you know, I'm going to nitpick the letter of what somebody else said. But I'm bringing this to you tonight because I'm trying to show you this is an extreme version of this. And he said in a recent sermon that you need to have faith in your faith. And I heard him say that. I'm like, wait a second now. Now, hear me, hear me. I understand why he would say that. Okay? But you do realize having faith in your faith is not the same as you having faith in God. Or, how about this? You having faith in someone else's faith is still not the same as you having faith in God. Do you, do you see the circular reasoning here? It's like we're, tr we're trying to do everything that we can with faith other than having faith in God. So now it's like, okay, well, you just need to have faith in your faith. Because evidently, you, you don't have enough faith in your faith to have faith without doubting your faith. I got some more of those. You, you interested in them? What is this really saying? Is it saying that your faith isn't working because you don't have enough faith in your faith? Or that you have faith in someone else's faith but not your own? Do you see the circular reasoning behind you wouldn't have doubt if you didn't doubt the faith you doubt? Did you catch that? You wouldn't have doubt if you didn't doubt the faith you doubt. What's the point? Have faith in God. Have faith in God. All right, here, here is, and I'm skipping over a bunch of verses and it's time for us to be done for the evening. Let me give you this one last verse and then we'll be back here next week. Are you getting anything out of this? Man, I got so many notes on all this stuff. I'm just trying to step away from the notes and just share my heart with you and so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He just got through talking about Enoch. 
And what was the key thing that we see about Enoch is that he walked with God and had the testimony that he pleased God. Now, I would imagine that Enoch was a disciplined man. I would imagine that he knew some things about a godly life and how to live one. But that, that is not what we see pleased God. What pleased God was that he had faith in God and he walked with God. And, he, and the Bible says he was translated. In other words, he didn't, he didn't die. Um, God took him like he took um, Elijah. I don't know about the chariot of fire part, but amen. And so with that as a backdrop, we come to verse number 6, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So without faith in God, it's impossible to please God. We, we can debate this, we can insist on there's other ways, it's, it's futile. You cannot please God apart from faith. The sooner we come to that conclusion, the better. Okay? All the things in the world that that, that we could do, our disciplines and our principles and our hard works and all sorts of stuff, if, if it's not rooted in and an expression of faith in God, it doesn't please God. Okay? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that God can. Is that what it says? How about this one? He who comes to God must believe that God will. Now what it says. It says, must believe that He is. That He is. Must believe that God is. Stand with me tonight. Must believe that God is. I feel like so much of what people are trying to do today in the body of Christ involves an effort to believe God can do it, an effort to believe that God will do it. I would dare say that most people, at least people that I'm familiar with and that I have the honor of serving, okay, they believe God can, but where the doubt tends to sneak into the equation in their hearts is whether or not he will. But he didn't say you must believe that he can or that you must believe that he will. He said you must believe that he is. He goes on to say, and, and he emphasizes, the next statement is an emphasis of the first one. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek his blessing, diligently seek his benefit, diligently seek, no, diligently seek him. Literally himself. His unique being. His unique person. 
where you seek to understand the characteristics that set him apart from everybody else and everything else. What are we talking about now? We're, t- we're talking about fellowship. We're talking about knowing God. We're talking about having confidence in the promise because we know the promise maker. We're talking about knowing in whom we have believed. When we focus on God can, God will, and not God is, it leaves all kinds of room for doubt and confusion. And, and listen to me now. I believe that he can. I believe that he will. But even those two areas, not where our faith needs to be placed, at least not where it needs to be placed first. This is what the Lord told me. He said, he said people who know I is never question if I can or will. If you know who he is, you'll never doubt his ability or his willingness. Amen? All right. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Father, we have faith in you. We have faith in who you are, and you are love and your nature and character and ability. Father, we know you. We want to know you. Father, you are the object of our faith. You are the subject of our faith. Our faith is based upon, rooted in you. We don't just believe in you, we believe on you. Our faith brings us to a place where we rest on who you are. In the same way we don't just learn about Jesus or learn from Jesus, we learn of Jesus. Because he's gentle and lowly in heart. Father, you want us to experience the inward realities of our new birth. You want the world to be transformed by the inward realities of our new birth. You you desire, Father, for us to experience every blessing and every benefit that, that we currently have been given to us, Father. You desire to see us experience these things more than we desire them ourselves. Father, help us Help us, Lord, direct our faith to where our faith needs to be focused. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for being here tonight.